Welcome back to Beyond Culture, where the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your co-host, Abel. Beyond Culture is back for a new season. In this episode, my co-host Ivan and I take a look back at our biggest project of the summer, the Sick and Tired docuseries. We discussed the challenges and the thrills of putting together that project. And we also talked about the topics that we're planning on exploring in this new season. Take a listen. Welcome back to the Young Culture. I'm your host Ivan, here with my co-host Abel. Hello, welcome back. You know, it's great to finally be back, you know, doing a fresh (laughs) new episodes because we've been past few weeks, months, we've been just posting, you know, obviously the episodes from the docu-series Sick and Tired. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's good to be back on the midfield and just, you know, talk about what we've been doing during this these last few months. Yeah, no, I think it's um, it's just nice to have a, a an episode where it's just the two of us where we can just update on what we, we've been doing and kind of have a new type of content mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting summer, interesting couple of uh months you know especially for beyond culture with our first ever docuseries mm-hmm. and that was that was really uh a, 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 an interesting experience for all of us you know and you know and it's kind of we're kind of pushing our horizon and uh doing new stuff you know so i hope people uh watched it and uh liked it and uh, if you didn't like it Leave a comment below or and something. Tell us, you know? tell us why you didn't like it. Tell us why you didn't like it. But I know why some people <laughs> probably didn't like it. But we'll address those. Uh, <laughs> those we'll address comments. Those ones, yeah, we'll address it uh, at some point during today's episode. I think um, what's interesting about that project is that we've been brainstorming it for months. Like it, mm-hmm. it's like even before we actually created Google Docs, it's something like we had conversations about. Yeah, you know. So it didn't be something we just thought about in a whim. Like it's literally mm-hmm. looking, I would say, even just over a year ahead, looking at what's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, okay, the presidential election is coming up. You know, mm-hmm. how can we, you know, do something different in terms of our coverage? Because we can mm-hmm. do, usually what we what we tend to do during elections is that we'll do a lot of episodes, you know, in and mm-hmm. around the debates, in and mm-hmm. around the policy platforms and whatever. But I think what this series allowed us to do was to go straight to the candidates mm-hmm. and, you know, see what is it like to actually be campaigning. Because mm-hmm. you have, in the doctor series, you see, you'll, you'll hear the stories of, you know, um, Abajid Mane, mm-hmm. you know, he's a young deputy leader of the Green Party, mm-hmm. you know, a Green Party in Ontario that's really, you're, you're sensing a type of green wave that's coming mm-hmm. in the next few years, especially after Mike Schreiner got elected in, you know, and then you have Farina Lee. Who's a NDP candidate, also a young uh, teacher who her perspective, yeah, very like unique perspectives mm-hmm. uh, of candidates running, and I think that's what I loved about this is that you kind of get to see like the personalities and just hear their stories, and it's kind of it humanizes the candidates a bit because mm-hmm. you know sometimes during the elections, you know you have. And it's it's understandable that like you kind of look at all these people running, and you're kind of you're not really seeing them as people, but mm-hmm. more as the candidate. They represent one party. They mm-hmm. dispute a certain type of platform. 
and all these things. But when you actually sit down with them and talk, and especially these two candidates mm-hmm. that we spoke to, it was they were so honest. Like they yeah. were, they just really spoke about what was important to them. Yeah, I I think well is uh, a few points of, of what I appreciated talking to these candidates. First of all, is just the youth uh, part of it all, given that they are young people, you know, and we try to relate to young audiences and <clears throat> make uh, politics, you know, interesting for young audiences, for young people. So uh, to see young candidates out there running for uh, office, that was, that was really inspiring and that was really something that felt nice. And also, uh, oftentimes in Canadian politics and Canadian elections, you have... Uh, a lot of folk focus on leaders of the parties, you know, and it, and not a lot of focus on the specific candidates. And that's just the way, you know, our politics is, you know, the leader gets all the attention. And, you know, once you're elected, you're supposed to vote according to, you know, like how the you're supposed to vote uh, partisanly, you know, so so it's <clears throat> uh, oftentimes mainstream medias don't put too much attention on the candidates. So we, it was just a nice touch to actually, uh, put some attention on those candidates. And, uh, what I really appreciated about, uh, both of them is the fact that they were, they were really honest and you could feel it wasn't like a prepared, you know, party, party oh. answer, oh. you know, like you could actually feel where they were coming from and you could feel, you know, sometimes there are even divergences between the the candidate and the party and you you know you have you can you can actually it's more human you know mm-hmm. so uh that's a that was a nice touch but a uh, question i would have for you like how is it since you're the one behind cameras most of the time how is how is that experience for you and you know and given that we're coming off of like uh lockdowns and mm-hmm. that uncertainty like how is that experience for you the amount of documentaries I watched, docu-series, like, I kept re-watching them just to see, okay, how did they execute this? Like, how did they do it? Because we've never done this before, mm-hmm. you or I. Yeah. So we're like, so the main thing was always like, okay, what equipment do we need? What do we not have? Okay, mm-hmm. once we get there, what do we actually, uh, how do we need to execute it? How do we need to place the cameras and all these things? Yeah. Like, even, you know, getting lavalier mics because, you know, we can't bring our podcast mics outside. Yeah. So how are we going to do it? So getting those portable mics started. And it was always, there was like so many little obstacles. I think the biggest challenge for me actually was not being able to film as much mm-hmm. as I wanted to because mm-hmm. we, we were both doing the interviews. Mm-hmm. So it, I had to trust like a lot of people to yeah. help us. Like we have our camera crew, you know, amazing crew. You have Pierre Philippe, you have Anton Peter, mm-hmm. you have uh, Brian Matembe, like we had, we actually had an amazing camera crew. Like those mm-hmm. guys, they were like I was just, I just gave a few pointers. Like this is yeah. the shots I'm looking for. This is what, it, this is what I want to see. But their, their execution, like they would go way like above and beyond. Like mm-hmm. all of them, honestly, I could say they made this documentary. You know, because because yeah. when you're, I people don't know like I, I grew up doing videography and all mm-hmm. that and when you kind of don't get to do the thing that you love yeah. you know you it's it's a bit scary but these guys you know complete professionals like it mm-hmm. was uh, honestly i remember after we, we did one of the first interviews outside i think it was uh, about G, we did that mm-hmm. one outside i'm like this was so fun 
Yeah. Like this is because, because you, what you love to see, and, and I wonder your take too when sometimes you watch these documentaries or docuseries on Netflix, what you like to see is, um, just the scenery of some of these interviews. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the, the scenery of the interview, let's say Abajit or, or Farhina as mm-hmm. well, but Abajit was our first one. Yeah. And we're at the beach. Everybody's walking, people walking behind. Like you see so much action and it just is the blue in the sky is, is beautiful. Yeah. And uh, there's something more ad- adventurous about, you know, recording uh, outside. You know, it's not like you're not in the controlled uh, space that we're used to in the studio yeah. where we know, like we know everything, you know, like yeah. um, from like the sound standpoint, you know, you have to, you know, where all the sources of, of uh, you know, like of, uh, noise are going to come from and yeah. all, all of that. interrupt because people who don't know a bell usually is a governor in the studio <laughs> like don't move that shirt don't move this shirt <laughs> close that window like he's the audio guy so I, i'm sure for him being outside was not easy. yeah yeah being outside it's a it's a different experience for yeah. sure you know so because even in the studio it's a bit stressful because yeah. you you have like you put yourself like in the i put myself in Cause I'm, I edit the, the audio. So I put myself in that editor's, sh- uh, chair where, um, you know, as we're recording, I'm already thinking of how it sounds, you know? So it's, uh, it, that was like a different experience. And you, you know, you just have to let go and, uh, enjoy the process of it all. And, you know, like, but the visuals were incredible. Like the Abajit, Abajit, uh, section, even, uh, for him, yeah. that was, that was, incredible just like overall and we you know we have to thank all the candidates who allowed us to to be a part of that and uh you know if also the green party you know we went to one of their events oh, and yes, yes, yes. you know we uh talked to the leader and you know like the the whole atmosphere was just you know welcoming and you know it's it's not what you think when you're thinking of politics you think it's yeah. a lot of tense people you know who yeah. are trying to control every angle, every, you know, but it wasn't, it didn't feel that way. And that was nice, you know, so yeah, like we weren't told at all to ever put down the camera. Like mm-hmm. we were really, we shot everything and yeah. whatever uh, we wanted to shoot, which was pretty refreshing. And as you said, like Mike Schreiner mm-hmm. was it at, like, it's something you don't expect. Like you see yeah. Mike Schreiner, he does his speeches and I just to meet him in person and like, mm-hmm. oh man, this guy's a real guy. I think his yeah. family was there and doing canvassing, mm-hmm. helping out with that. So that was also like, it was a beautiful thing. And especially when you're interviewing candidates and like writing where they've had some history and they've mm-hmm. put like foundations, you can see how much like they're comfortable in their communities. Mm-hmm. Like Farheen, like when we were in, in her writing, like literally I was, cause we, I hadn't been there before. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, I was asking, you know, where should we do it? Should we mm-hmm. here? She's like, Oh, we should go here. There's a beautiful like front and you can mm-hmm. see, some condo then you can see whatever and then we went there and then you look at that that interview like it's is beautiful and yeah. you know shout out the brian and anton were the one that shot the, that one it's a beautiful shot where you see a seagull pass right behind her mm-hmm. and the camera pass i'm just like man <laughs> this is this is this it's, is it, it's, that's something that just you know brian just saw yeah while he was shooting so I know we're getting, I'm getting, I'm going all over the place in terms of visuals and the politics of it, but I think it, it's just, it was a very, like, it, 
it obviously took a lot of work. It was hard and whatever, but it was such a rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest challenge, and I want to hear what you think is the biggest mm -hmm. challenge. For me, the biggest challenge actually is being involved in every step of the process. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, you don't, you, we don't have a person to book the interviews mm -hmm. and a person to coordinate the, yeah. coordinate the, the shoot the, and a person to set up the, like me. It's literally you have to do it every single part mm -hmm. of the process, the pre-planning, the shooting and everything. And after the editing, like it, it did something. I think that was the biggest challenge because you can't, if you rest, then nothing's going to come out, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, like f for me, um, I think my challenges weren't that hard as yours, given that it was mostly, uh, it was really a visual project mm -hmm. and that that's where your skill set is. So that's a lot of stress for you. And like at, on my, you know, releasing the, the episodes mm -hmm. afterwards as in audio form, that's, I had more time and I could, you know, I'm used to it. You know, uh, it was just a different type of editing, given that the audio is not in, uh, like a closed studio. So you, you yeah, have to yeah. adjust a little bit, but you know, that wasn't like, as tough as the job you guys were doing with the camera and, you know, editing, uh, the docuseries in a, in a way that it makes sense and there's a narrative and, you know, it's like the storytelling behind, uh, all of it. So, you know, big shout out to you, especially and, you know, and the whole camera crew that did an incredible job. And, um, I, I want to, uh, talk about because I know some people would probably be asking why we only interviewed uh, <laughs> some candidates. <laughs> oh boy! And we didn't have any uh, liberal candidate or progressive uh, conservative yeah. candidate uh, in the docu series. So I want you to address that criticism. <laughs> you know, I got that criticism from actually uh, with a friend of mine. You know, and I think that's what I love I, when it comes to this stuff. Like I, I love any. Not to say I love the criticism, but I'm just mm -hmm. saying I'm very open to it and to see how we can improve. Mm -hmm. But before the dog series came out, I already knew that was coming. Mm -hmm. I, I knew, I knew <laughs> it was coming. And, you know, the main answer, like, and I book can speak to this too, is that when you're trying to book candidates, it was, it was so touch and go. Mm -hmm. Like, is we talked a bit about at the beginning of this episode, how we pre-planned for like months and months in advance. When it came to crunch time, like the few weeks that you have to shoot, Candidates are falling through. Mm -hmm. Candidates are popping out of nowhere. Like they, for, for them to, as they're in the campaign, they're trying to judge whether it's mm -hmm. worth it for them to come and do this interview. Mm -hmm. And like for them also, they're, they're trying to gauge, can this hurt us in the campaign? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, so it was so touch and go. So we, we had, you know, we, we reached out to every candidate under the sun of every party. Mm -hmm. And we actually, we, we were in the process of doing the interview with the PC candidate, and I, I don't know if people say this, I don't think it really matters, but the Doug, the Doug Ford, you know, campaign or whatever, mm -hmm. I think they, they just, they're shutting down any media interviews. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't interview the candidate that we wanted to interview for the progressive conservatives, but it was unfortunate. Because uh, we had a whole trip planned. We had a whole trip planned. Yeah, we were very, that's how, <laughs> that's how committed we were to getting the trip. We had a whole trip planned. You know, it was, I'm not going to say where we were going, but mm -hmm. I'm just going to say it was like about five hours, mm -hmm. you know, a five hour trip. So we were planning the air. We had to book the air. We we're going to book the Airbnb and everything. And it fell through like very last minute. So 
and it's unfortunate, like us, but it's what's supposed, you know, it's a blessing a bit in this documentary is that as things fell through, new mm-hmm. opportunities popped up, mm-hmm. which was beautiful because it's, it's like you couldn't, we didn't dwell too much on stuff falling through. Mm-hmm. And as I said, we, we reached out to PC candidates. We also reached out to liberal candidates. Mm-hmm. Some were, it was like right there about to happen. Yeah. And then yeah, it falls through the crack and you can't, mm-hmm. you can't control that. So all in all to say, we tried about yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's always scheduling conflicts and all of that, but also at the same time, these parties are, <laughs> these parties want to control the narrative so much that yeah. they don't let their candidates go out there and speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can kind of understand it, but it's, I feel like it's, bad for our democracy and bad for, you know, like it's just bad uh, as a whole, as a system where you don't want candidates to actually speak, you know, and I feel this is, uh, it's not just, you know, I'm not blaming the parties. I think this is, it reflects bad on um, our age where people are kind of, you know, they pay more attention on what they say, because like, if you say something controversial, you know, you'll, you'll get spread easily on social yeah. media and you'll get a, the blowback really fast. And candidates don't want controversy like that. So I feel like that kind of stifles conversation. You know, uh, I would, you know, it would, it would be in an ideal world, it, it would be nice to have the opportunity to hear from your candidates, from your writing and get to know them as a person, not just the platform. The platform is important, but at the same time, you want to know which type of people you're electing, you know? So, uh, that was, uh, unfortunate that, you know, these parties sometimes are, uh, you know, they, they don't want their candidates to be out there, but, you know, it is what it is. We did, uh, we did our best. It was not because there was a bias <laughs> or, you know, there's an agenda. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's no agenda. We tried to get everybody here. And as for, for people who follow the podcast, you can know that, you know, like, uh, we try to bring in people from, uh, uh, the, the full spectrum. Yeah. And once they're here, we'll challenge them on their views. You know, like, you know, I'm not going to let it slide just because you're from this side or that side, you know, like if I disagree or if I feel like you have to explain yourself, it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or right, you know, you're, we're going to challenge you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to do the same thing for the docu-series. Unfortunately, we uh, weren't allowed to do so or, you know, circumstance, circumstances prevented us uh, from doing so. But overall, I feel like uh, it was a success. Yeah, for sure. And then we even had, you know, outside the candidates, you have an interview with Nero, who's a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, he's done very well for himself, you know, as a GTA real estate agent, you mm-hmm. know, he was featured on Yahoo as one of the top real estate agents to follow. Mm-hmm. Interview with him was also great because he's been talking about the issue of housing, which mm-hmm. has been, a, it's a very hot topic right now and will be for like for a while, mm-hmm. like unless we find a solution to, you know, having more affordable homes, you know, mm-hmm. especially for the next generation, including like us included, mm-hmm. like uh, reaching Home ownership just feels very unattainable. Mm-hmm. So speaking with Nero was so was a was a great eye opening experience because mm-hmm. I, when it comes to real estate, that and I said this to Nero during the interview, I was like, I don't, I never hear a real estate agent talk about why they got into it, or I don't, mm-hmm. I just don't hear about it. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not something that I think is like natural mm-hmm. per se, a natural career path in the sense that 
when you go to school in high mm-hmm. school, nobody's talking about real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you kind of, I guess, you grasp once you're outside. And in his case, he was working in business before mm-hmm. he, he was working for a bank before he switched mm-hmm. to real estate, mm-hmm. you know, because he was kind of tired of, you know, selling the products that the bank was forcing him to sell. You know, mm-hmm. he felt like, and it's, these are his words, like they weren't helpful for the clients that he had. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a very interesting take to me. It's like, you, you, if you have a job like that, you have to sell what the bank tells you to sell, even though, you know, we've all had those, when you're with your bank, you're talking and they're saying, hey, man, do you want to you know, add this account to do, no, thank you, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's interesting to hear his story, not only his story, but also mm-hmm. his take on the current situation. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things he has said is about the foreign buyers mm-hmm. and all these things about, he's like, yo, these politicians are attacking the wrong problem mm-hmm. like they attack things to basically like appear as if they're actually solving the mm-hmm. issue but they're not in specifically in this case he was talking about dog the ford and the foreign mm-hmm. virus tax uh and etc but, but when he had said that i was i remember being an interview i was just like wow you know mm-hmm. not that i believe that that was a solution mm-hmm. to fixing housing but you know to some degree to hear a real estate agent say that mm-hmm. you know and so like bluntly it was mm-hmm. really open eyes yeah um Exactly. We had incredible guests and talk about Nero. Uh, I remember he said something. He, I asked him about the fact that, uh, housing is an issue because, uh, oftentimes people think of it as, uh, both a home and at the same time an investment. And there's not a lot of, uh, uh, things in life where you're thinking of it with just, thinking of its use value, you know, you use it as a home. And at the same time, you're thinking of its exchange value, you know. And when you have those two, um, those two type of values uh, uh, going against each other, it creates a crisis and a contradiction there. And it was just interesting how he said that, you know, people should think of real estate and housing as your home first, you know. You don't get in this market just for an investment. You know, once people have that mentality and once politicians also have that mentality that the housing crisis is about helping people find homes. It's not just about helping people like make a profit off of a property. You know, once that's the mindset, there is a lot of solution that's going to be found, you know, and that was really something refreshing. That was uh, that was not expecting to come from a real estate yeah, guy, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and I'm just like, I'm like, is this gonna make him lose clients? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, overall, just like the the guests and the topics that we we uh, we talked about were, I feel like were really uh, important and relevant for uh, the for the election, even though I feel like uh, some parties didn't really uh, spend as much of an effort, you know, addressing uh, these topics. And, you know, some parties, I feel like didn't even campaign, mm-hmm. you know, it was more so like a, you know, like a celebration tour, <laughs> <laughs> more than, you know, like, a, you know, talking about the, the, the issues. Yeah. But we also had the, uh, I don't know if you're going to go into another interview that we had. Um, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. There was a the interview with uh, Lori Nichol, mm-hmm. the 
president of Concerned Friends. Mm-hmm. I think that was also one of my favorite interviews mm-hmm. simply because the issue of, you know, long-term care homes mm-hmm. also, you know, reached fever pitch during, mm-hmm. like, during the pandemic, you mm-hmm. know, and, and thereafter. Mm-hmm. But what, what you learn from listening to her is that these issues have been bubbling for years, mm-hmm. way before the pandemic even mm-hmm. came. And, like, there's been you know, studies about this, like this is not something new, but what mm-hmm. we saw happen with the pandemic is that it really put a light on mm-hmm. some of the issues that have been festering for quite some time and that have been let, that were left, you know, unfixed. Mm-hmm. And what she said at the end of the interview was very interesting. She said, first she said, we need to value our aging population, but she also said, the way we can fix this moving forward is to not get caught up in the election platforms. Mm-hmm. As in every party is going to promise this, going to promise that. And since it's election season, like some people say, it's a dream selling season, mm-hmm. right? The key thing is to keep the pressure on after the election. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we struggle a lot around the world, but also in Canada and in mm-hmm. Ontario where some issues are talked about a lot during the election, but mm-hmm. once the election is over, we don't hear about it as much anymore. You know, long-term mm-hmm. care homes are still suffering mm-hmm. today. And that's one thing that she she had a foresight to talk about. She said, we have to keep applying the pressure after the election or mm-hmm. else these issues, we're just going to keep having them. And then once another pandemic comes, we're going to, you know, it's going to be an outcry and then we're going to be in the same cycle again. Mm-hmm. And being that she was an older guest that we have on the show with their perspective was very uh, very unique exactly and uh, you know just long the long-term care uh, topic and is you know oftentimes you you would think of it as something for you know given that our audience is young uh, some people might think of it you know this is not really my issue but you know like uh, that's everybody's issue you know like uh, we all have uh, elder people in our lives, you know, so we have as a society, it's important to make sure that, uh, they are taken care of, you know, and that they live good lives, um, as they're aging, you know, and, uh, it was really, uh, informative for me, you know, uh, because this is not a natural topic that I would come across. Uh, so just to have for us to make that effort to learn about the topic was just, you know, it was one of those episodes where you come out, you're like, oh, I learned, you know, yeah. something from this, yeah. you know, so that was, that was really a, a, a nice episode. So, and, uh, all these episodes are out there. So if you, you watch the, the docuseries and you want to go in depth, uh, on a specific topic, you know, the, the episodes are now all released. And please check out the, also the, the, the episode with, uh, the Ontario Basic Income Network. Mm-hmm. You know, we had two uh, amazing guests from uh, Oban. You have um, first Elaine Power, who's uh, a professor as well as an author. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we also have Carrie Lubrick, who mm-hmm. was the Oban, uh, basically the coordinator, coordinator here in Ontario. And I think one of the greatest things that come to come out of that interview is them talking about the Ontario basic income pilot, the pilot mm-hmm. that the Doug Ford government basically scrapped. Mm-hmm. So when they gave those testimonies about the people that mm-hmm. were in that, you know, pilot mm-hmm. program, you know, it really showed us like it benefited 
lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, 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 it's in the, the small ways too, you know, mm-hmm. you're talking about one gentleman that was able to visit his family back home who never got a shot because he didn't make enough money, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have a lady who was able to buy herself, you know, equipment that she needs to, you know, function in her life, but also she wanted to use some of her money to give back mm-hmm. to a charity that's been giving to her. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see what people do with with more disposable, more disposable money, you know, money that they can actually spend on other things mm-hmm. rather than bills. You know, when you have a small margin between your salary mm-hmm. and your expenses, there's not much living you can do. You know, you're kind of, in a sense, you're kind of surviving. And I think what the open interview showed us is that, you know, people are actually finally living, uh, living, living their lives, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it was a, the stories that they shared with us were very beautiful stories, and I hope everybody gets to uh, listen to them. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, and there's the episode with Professor Ryan Gregory uh, that you did. Um, that interview, just editing that episode, I felt like, you know, um, it just touched on so many things, you know, especially on COVID and on uh, evolutionary biology, Monkey you know, those monkeypox and that was really uh, relevant given that you know monkeypox uh, you know is of concern right now and uh, that you know some uh, demographics and populations are more uh, touched by monkeypox at the moment than others you know and how that can that can play uh, in you know in, and in stigmatizing uh, those populations, you know. So th- I found that that uh, interview was just really uh, relevant, you know. And just to also just having the look, having the luxury of uh, looking back at the pandemic, you know, and what we did, what we could have done differently, you know, in terms of masking policy, in terms of communication, you know, because, uh, you know, this was in society wide, not even society wide. It was like a global experience experiment where we're facing a new type of, uh, of threat globally. And we like, you know, we had to respond to it and you had different levels of government doing different things, you know, in Canada, you know, you had the federal government doing this, the provincial government doing that. The municipal government also doing their thing, you know. So you, there's a lot of uh, lessons to learn, you know. Just that's just in Canada, but also you, if you look across countries, uh, there's, you know, there's just so much to learn. And uh, having that luxury of, uh, of, of looking back to to the pandemic, and you know, we're the pandemic is not done, but at least you you know we it feels like we're in a more controlled uh, uh, phase. phase of the pandemic, you know, so we can we can start looking back and uh, learning, uh, learning and really having lessons uh, written down for what not to do next time. So I found that, you know, that episode was just uh, super refreshing. Yeah, definitely. Like he's, I'm not, in biology, that was not my program at mm-hmm. university. I'm yeah. not no scientist. I'm a, I'm a business major. <laughs> so, but the, sitting with him in that interview is so it's interesting because he didn't 
he didn't make me like feel stupid or anything. Mm-hmm. Like he, the way he, and again, I think it's probably his gift also as a professor. Mm-hmm. He was able to explain things to me in a way mm-hmm. that I'm like, I kind of understood what he was saying. And I mm-hmm. came out of that interview. I'm like, I just learned so much. Like yeah. it was a long interview, but I'm like, I learned, I really learned a lot from him. So I think that that's also an interview that you should, uh, that you should definitely check out. Yeah. Uh, like overall, just the whole experience has been, you know, it's just been, uh, I didn't think we would learn so much about these different type of tough topics, uh, doing a docu-series focused on an election, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking to ex, the candidates, first of all, and then talk, talking to these experts in different fields, uh, that just, I feel like that just brought something, uh, uh, nice and a certain novelty to, to the whole docu-series and, at the same time, you know, the longer uh, conversation that we released afterwards also bring some type of depth to to the conversation and to the docu series. So that that was really uh, you know, all. Through, uh, overall, I feel feel like this was an incredibly positive experience. Definitely, for, yeah. especially for Beyond Culture, especially yeah, for especially for our first time, and mm-hmm. this is something. Trust me, man, we're definitely doing this again. You know, you we'll look out for some more mm-hmm. uh, projects. We're gonna learn from our mistakes because you know we made we made enough. We made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. You always make mistakes your first time in whatever do give you the editing process, the scheduling process. Like we mm-hmm. made a lot of mistakes. It was our first time, you know, and you know you live and you learn, and the next one's gonna be better, and then. Mm-hmm. Better, better. It's baby step. We're under. We were under no impression that this would be the perfect yeah. docu series whatsoever. Yeah, especially given just the uncertainty of it all. You know, like when we started the recording, I think that was just around the like literally a couple of weeks after the lockdowns. You know? yeah. So we didn't know like what would be the policy, like the masking policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like we didn't know. Um, where in what phase of the pandemic we would be recording this uh docuseries you know we we had different plans you know we were going to do it regardless you know whether it's virtual or or in person or in person but uh we're lucky enough to to have a lot of in-person interviews safe in-person interviews you know so yeah of course of course and on that note please everybody check it out sick and tired you can check it out on our website, you know, a link to our YouTube channel, but it's made on our YouTube channel at Beyond Culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I feel like we should talk a little bit more about uh, just various topics, you know, what's been happening, let's say, in Canadian politics, U.S. politics, mm-hmm. and globally, you know, in... Uh, are we gonna, are we gonna, do you want to transition straight into that or do you want to have, you know, five, seven minutes where we kind of explain what we've been doing? Personally. Oh sure, yeah, we can, we can, um, yeah. About tell the people what you've been up to, you know, yeah, since we released the docu series, and even a bit before that, just what phase mm-hmm. of your life are you in? I feel like we we never, yeah, do this. So. No, exactly. I feel you know. I feel like uh, uh, this is something that's nice to talk about because you know the audience gets to learn a little bit more about us, and uh, yeah, since. Uh, since the docu-series, I was, you know, since then I graduated last year from my undergraduate degree at the University of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. 
in political science and philosophy, for those who don't know. So that was just the whole experience was just incredibly uh, instructive for me, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm a different person from when I started that program mm-hmm. to when I finished the program, not just because of the program, but also because of Beyond Culture and uh, just my acquired interests, you know. So uh, after that, I've been, uh, you know, working, uh, trying to get more experience in in my field, in what I do. I'm really interested in... Uh, um the in humanitarian work uh so you know i in the future i want to be working like in the field um uh, and for that to happen you know you need a hands-on experience so it's been a it's been a blessing to be able to gain some experience uh in in that sector and at the same time uh will be starting a master's degree in the month of September. Uh, so very soon, by the time this episode comes out, I will probably uh, be already starting the, <laughs> the program, you know. So that's what I've been up to, you know. So it's been, you know, it's been an eventful year, you know. It's just been... Uh, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you um, enjoy this period of, like, not being a student anymore? Like, were you actually able to enjoy that or... Was your mind already too? Mm-hmm. Okay, after so my masters, I f- so I feel like I did enjoy it, especially this summer after we uh, finished recording the docu series, and uh, where we didn't have lots of research to do, and you know we had we pretty much had all our content for the summer uh, available for us to just edit and put it out there. So it was more, the summer in itself was more relaxed for me. And, uh, you know, I did enjoy the time away from uh, school because when I finished, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of stress, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, once you've been doing it for four to five years, uh, it just feels, it's a bit tiring, you know, you want to uh, switch it up a little bit. But at the same time, I feel like one one of the reasons why I was able to have like be really relaxed and enjoy it is the fact that I knew that I'm going back to school, yeah. you know. So if I was just if this was uh, if I was at the end of my academic uh, journey, yeah. and I I'm like okay, I'm just you know I'm just trying to get a job and that's it, and then you know move on to other. Uh, 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 places in, in, in life, you know, I feel like that would be more stressful than how it has been for me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's more relaxed because I know I'm going back to school and, yeah. you know, I'm going back to, for my master's degree and, you know, I'm going, <clears throat> I'm going back to, uh, some sort of, uh, a routine, a routine, you know, that I'm used to, you know. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, okay, I can kick back the summer, you know, I just have to do what I have to do at work and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but what about you? What has it been for you, uh, you know, finishing, finishing school and uh, being in the different type of gear? And also, what has your summer and the, you know, the rest of the year been like for you? Well, before I get way deep into that, I think 
want to hop off of the last thing you said because that is very true. I guess when you get towards the end of university, most students that are listening to this probably have gone through it where you're kind of like, it's kind of crisis mode. Like, yes, you want to be done, but what's next? Am I going to be defined? be able to find a field, I mean, find a job in my field, you know, mm-hmm. what am I going to be able to have with my degree? You know, you always hear, mm-hmm. you see jokes about this. I'm not saying I endorse those jokes, mm-hmm. but, you know, people be, be saying, yo, my degree is a scam, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. So it, I think it's a scary time, like, yeah. okay, because you've had this routine for, let's say, four or five years, and everything is, is kind of predictable, but now you're in this uncertainty, and if you've taken student loans, then you're like, okay, mm-hmm. I have to pay these back, so what do I do now? So I think you're definitely right in terms of like, um, I feel like I don't know how we can try to f- kind of fix that issue. Probably more opportunities for students straight out of university mm-hmm. with their institutions. Like some, something needs to change because I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of students like mental health probably really struggles but in that last period. Mm-hmm. Uh, for mm-hmm. myself, I was, I was beyond blessed that I, during my last year I was working uh, as a media coordinator and then I got promoted after um, after I finished my last year so I was I just jumped from my final year of university straight into my first full-time job mm-hmm. no like my first like job job mm-hmm. career job and you know as I said it's media so it has nothing to do with my degree at all <laughs> it has nothing to do with business or anything but you know you can, you can branch in the marketing or whatever but I think I've, I've always literally when we started beyond culture I think it was second year of uni or third year or something like that. I I knew like I'm like I want to do media. I don't really mm-hmm. want to do business. And mm-hmm. for a lot of students, I think I've been in that position where you're like, okay, what am I going to do? I have to switch my degree. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll go with it. I'll finish it. And because it's a good thing to have in the back, but I'm like, I'm going to pursue an opportunity kind of outside my degree. And it's been, you know, beyond a blessing being able to, you know, work in this field professionally. And we kind of talk about this off camera is that. Our experience with Beyond Culture has gotten us like a lot of you know professional opportunities mm-hmm. outside, you know Beyond Culture. So mm-hmm. we've been able. It's been it's been a real a real blessing, and then we've added in Beyond Culture in our like Beyond Culture Media. We've been trying to expand that mm-hmm. a bit, trying to do you know more content. And one thing that's in there is Hanging Cleats, which is mm-hmm. the soccer page that we have, and there you see a lot of different content. And it's been an absolutely great summer for Hanging mm-hmm. Cleats. You know. A lot of opportunities, you know, to work with Canada soccer to, you know, uh, cover the women's national team, you know, talk to interview a few players, you know, and just uh, have some fun and try to promote. Like the main goal of Yankees has always been to promote the Canadian game because we felt like it was just coverage missing mm-hmm. uh, there. And, you know, a lot of things are more probably going to be coming for hanging places. You know, the World Cup is around the corner. Mm-hmm. The World Cup the World Cup will be around the corner. So look out for more content in terms of that. But yeah, on that, no, that's, that's, that's really been it. The summer has been like a lot of things. We, we had more free time. Mm-hmm. I've been working a lot of hanging cleats and just working in my uh, first job. And obviously we're friends outside this podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> we've been enjoying our summer. Yeah, seasons. we've been enjoying <laughs> And, you know, what's funny is the fact that, you know, um, you mentioned uh, that we have gotten opportunities uh, because of Beyond Culture. And, uh, you know, this is a passion project and it requires a lot of time. And outside of this, we've we've always been either at work or having a full-time job. And, you know, we've never 
spent like any I don't think any amount of time just being full time focused on Beyond Culture. Uh, so we're we're oftentimes we're pretty busy, you know, yeah, we're yeah. really busy uh, individuals who, you know, you uh, you're you're an athlete, you know, so you have to do your athlete stuff, you know, prepare, train, and all of that at the same time. Go to school uh, at the same time. You have hanging hanging cleats and Beyond Culture, and same for me, you know, with work and you know and various projects on the side. So it's. It's just been, uh, I feel like just having more time to ourselves this summer has just been good for, for just our lives in general. Our, uh, friend group also, you know, we've had more time to spend with our friends and to enjoy the summer. And I feel like that's just a really, uh, big positive of uh this summer so far. It has definitely killed our bank account. So let me, let me, <laughs> let me tell you that. The bank account is, oh my God, you know, it's one of those where it's to be expected. You're talking yeah. about the first summer right outside mm-hmm. uh, after like COVID. The, the major lockdowns of COVID, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's out and Toronto this summer has been, you know, activities upon yeah. activities upon activities upon activities. Yeah, too, too much to do in Toronto. And this is, you know... We're often never like in our friend group and, you know, the guys, they always come in for the basketball, um, episode. So, you know, people who know beyond culture know the friend group yeah. and we're almost never all together in the same city, you know, and, uh, it's like really rare that we spend like so many, uh, months and weeks in the same location, like in the same city. So, you know, we're, we actually made the most out of it. So that was, that was really, uh, you know, that was really fun for me. And that was just, I'm just really grateful that we had this opportunity to spend the whole summer together and actually have, you know, and do stuff, you know. So. Yeah. Especially because after, when, when you get to this fall, you just, everybody's going different directions. Mm-hmm. Like it's, and for younger people that listen to this, you know, and you have your friend group, like in high school, I was just telling my brother about this. I'm like, you really enjoy these times you have in high school. Cause mm-hmm. high school was what I miss about high school is seeing the boys every day. Mm-hmm. Like early, we were just having fun, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now you really, you got to make plans and all these mm-hmm. things. And now going into this fall, like, you know, some of us are going in our careers. Some of us are going into doing masters. Some are in a completely different province mm-hmm. working. Like some are going to have great opportunities, you know, in their sport. Like mm-hmm. a lot of things are happening and. You know, when you have the opportunities to have your friends, you know, uh, in the same place, I just take advantage of it, you know, because you never, you never know when you won't be able to do it anymore. Exactly. Especially as we're, uh, growing older, you know, with more responsibilities, you know, more responsibilities, you know, you know, we're waiting for the first, uh, the first <laughs> wedding. <laughs> It won't be yours, man. It will definitely not be my wedding. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, do you do you want to talk about uh, Canadian politics a bit? Yeah, let's dive into it. Yeah, so yeah, we'll just touch just uh, just a little bit on uh, what's been happening and and uh, you know as we're coming back, we'll be coming back with episodes focused on all of these different topics, you know, like Canadian politics, U.S. politics, uh, the global 
what's global affairs, what's been happening, you know, Ukraine and the Ukraine-Russia war, uh, uh, climate change, you, you know, and yeah, we can just get into that. Like in uh, Canadian politics, I feel like what has been uh, been really the news since we last covered has was first of all the Liberals and NDP deal of uh, supply and confidence, where the NDP signed an agreement with the Liberals that if they were to uh, implement these programs, so mostly dental care and uh, I think mostly dental care, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just a couple of these programs, they would the liberals would have their support until uh, 2024. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 2024, so that's uh, until the next scheduled election. Uh, so that has been, I think that was, that caught people by surprise, you know, because we've been, uh, we've been having these elections every two years now. In uh, 2019, 2021, I, th- I th- believe, the, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, so it's, uh, I feel like it's, it made sense. That deal made sense because, you know, these parties are bleeding, you know, because of all these elections. Uh, and, uh, I feel like the conservatives are probably the ones who should be happy, uh, from this deal because it gives them more time to, get a leader, get a leader established and uh, have the whole uh, apparatus, the whole machine running before the next election, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it gives, it also gives uh, the, the NDP uh, time to, uh, you know, get donations and, you know, <laughs> have enough money in the bank to, to go to the next election because that has been a topic. Yeah. Uh, and the Greens, I don't know what's happening with the Greens, the federal Greens. They'll take any time before the next election because, yeah. you know, they're a mess right now. Uh, they're, they are going through a leadership race at this moment. And it's been, it's also just been like weird, you know, like old leaders coming back and wanting to, you know, like it's just bizarre. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have anything on, on well, I think, uh, to some degree, I think it's uh, it it's a bit beneficial also to Canadian in, in the sense that I think last last election mm-hmm. they they chose to send you know a liberal minority mm-hmm. you know to uh, to government mm-hmm. so clearly there there was there was another, there was a message sent that they don't want per se a change right now mm-hmm. but in the same sense they. Probably want to see the government collaborate more, mm-hmm. you know, and their collaboration most likely obviously will come from the NDP. Mm-hmm. And for Jagmeet Singh, it's a great opportunity to wield power, mm-hmm. you know, especially with you know their performance during the election. Like to mm-hmm. have to be able to have at least some positives mm-hmm. come out of that for him to be able to say, "Hey, we we brought Canadians dental care." Mm-hmm. It's a big thing if he's able to do that. And it helps them a lot going into the next election. So I definitely, the deal is very understandable. And uh, to some great degree, it also gives Canadians some time to, you know, focus a bit more on their lives. And then mm-hmm. when the next election rolls around, you, you might see a completely different, you know, landscape in terms mm-hmm. of 
like the issues that Canadians care about in terms mm-hmm. of who is actually sent to sent into um, government. Like a lot of things can change, and as you mentioned uh, with the Conservatives, I think a lot of people didn't believe Aaron Atoll was ready for that election. Mm-hmm. They believed the turnaround was way too quick. They mm-hmm. all, but also there's a more criticism that he wasn't authentic and all these all these different things. But what we're seeing right now in the Conservative leadership race is that you know you, you have your, you have one that guy was clearly your front runner, mm-hmm. and that people putting a lot of you know support behind, mm-hmm. and who they believe will be the person to lead them to a victory in the next election. So for a guy like him, you know, we're talking about Pierre Poliev, mm-hmm. uh, for a guy like him, giving him the time to lay the groundwork across Canada mm-hmm. is gonna is gonna be a great benefit to him. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's gonna he it's it's just a great positive for him because he the big thing about Pierre Poliev is that you're seeing him go into you know, all these uh, cities in Canada, you know, Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Sudbury, like all these, all these towns and the turnout is mm-hmm. astonishing. So he's clearly, he's tapped into something and he has, mm-hmm. and he's laying that groundwork and it could be, the, the next election will be, could be very competitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. With uh, the conservative leader, leadership race, um, it was, I feel like, uh, Lots of people expected more competition, you know, uh, with uh, Patrick Brown jumping in the race and uh, Charette also being in the race. Uh, Leslie Lewis is also there, but, you know, she she did better than expected last time. So, you know, uh, her potential is definitely up there. So, but at the same time, you know, given that, was Pierre Poliev, who, you know, one of the big dogs was Pierre Poliev. And, uh, I, I thought he would have ran in 20 for the, you know, for the previous leadership race because, I you mentioned that. yeah, the field was just really open. But at the same time, I understood why he didn't run in that one because, you know, people were expecting the, conservatives to really do terribly in that election and they did better than expected but at the time before uh justin trudeau called for the election he was doing so super well in the polls Mm -hmm. so even if you're uh, if you're someone who wanted to become a leader of the conservative party and you're looking you're Looking at a potential red wave, you're, you're probably gonna say, "No, I'm not gonna become the captain of the ship now." Yeah, yeah there's no way. <laughs> exactly, but now at this time, now you know he has more time to prepare. He'll have. I feel like the next federal election will be more competitive, and uh, some people are speculating that this might be the last last uh, mandate for Justin Trudeau. You know, given that he is. You know, really focusing on these big legacy projects, you yeah, know. Right. So, uh, but at the same time, I'm like, if liberals are going to let Justin Trudeau walk away for that next election, it might be unwise because, like, you have Pierre Poliev who's riling up half of the country, you know, and might give him a slam dunk. And then you might have like these unexperienced, poly- not unexperienced, but like, you know, they, that would be their first time running as a leader. You know, that would be like the Chrysia Freelands of the world. Yeah. 
And I think she would be like second in line after yeah. Justin Trudeau. So I feel like that would be a slam dunk for conservatives. Mm -hmm. And the, for the NDP, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, like I can bet if I had to bet, I think Jagmeet Singh is going to stay and stay around until the next election. And then after that election, that's when he, like, people will really reevaluate his legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, so, uh, I think it's the political landscape on the federal level in Canada is interesting. You know, the next election is going to be interesting. You know, I don't know. I want to see how, what Poliev will do after he, if he wins. I want to see what he will do after he wins and whether he's going to moderate a little bit or he's going to keep that same firebrand because it seems to be working, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't know if that could work in a general election, but it's working for the conservative base, you know, and uh, and uh, his strategy might just be, let me rile up the base and we'll, we'll uh, bet on the turnout numbers instead mm -hmm. of actually getting new voters. Mm -hmm. And that's a strategy that could work, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's interesting there. Um, and definitely, uh, my last part on this is like, you, you guys, as you brought up a good point about what do you choose to do when you get to a general election? Mm -hmm. What you just, what you choose to do when you win a conservative leadership race is way different than your strategy, mm -hmm. usually than to win, you know, the general population. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a point that Patrick Brown had made when he was still in contention. <laughs> He's like, we can go with the quote unquote guy who's a bit far right, or you can go with me who actually can win, you know, the general population, you know, if we have, if I were to go to an election with Justin Trudeau. So mm -hmm. I think in the conservative party, it's a real, it's a realistic fear about mm -hmm. how are we supposed to win, uh, you know, over the other half, mm -hmm. you know, of the, of the populace, uh, mm -hmm. in Canada. So I think it would be interesting to see where does he choose to pivot or does he choose to stay in the same, in the same way. But within that party, I'm sure people are asking those questions out as well. Yeah, so that will be uh, that will be interesting, and people are already asking those questions. But I guess time will tell. Um, in the U.S., uh, I think last time we talked about the U.S. was probably in uh, a long time ago. We talked about Kamala Harris and uh, how she was doing, and how you know uh, it felt like she wasn't meeting the expectations. Oh, I think that, and I think that was like the end of an episode. So we had it wasn't even a full U.S. episode. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and at the time, you know, the people from her camp were complaining, and you know, and uh, you know, you know how politics is in the U.S. But uh, I, I think what's been mostly interesting is uh, the new uh, law that uh, passed recently, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. It's you know, U.S. politics is always it's always bizarre, man. Because you know, when I saw when I saw the name of the of the law, once you go in the law, like it's just it's just it's just politics. You see, yeah. when people are talking about this, is what I hate about politics. That's what they hate about politics. Inflation is going to go down. Yeah. That's for sure because the price of oil and the price of these com commodities have been going down. So you. Economists expect that, you know, um, inflation will go down. We've been seeing like, uh, record numbers of 
uh, inflation spike since probably the 90s. Um, but, you know, but it is expected that inflation will go down towards the end of the year because of how the price of oil is going down and there's more stability uh, in terms of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, you know, so for food prices, uh, that was, that there was a lot of uncertainty around that. And uh, now the Ukrainians and Russians have signed a few uh, agreements where they allow uh, shipments of food and grain to leave these ports. So uh, those uh, global prices of food can be stabilized. And obviously you had some corporations were just making profit out of, out of uh, uh, the crisis, they were just profiting off of the crisis, and I feel like there is more energy towards fighting that type of uh, 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 price gouging and you know profiteering off of a crisis. You know, the Secretary General of uh, the United Nations uh, asked countries to tax uh, the super profits from these big uh, energy companies and. So I feel like they're feeling the pressure, so the prices will go down. So that's one, that's a, that's to put context around that uh, law that passed in the U.S. So inflation is going to go down, like most likely, right? And then the U.S. passes a law that they call it Inflation Reduction Act. But in the law, the only thing that they do that is supposed to bring down inflation is uh, reduce government deficits. You know, so they are going to raise uh, taxes on corporations and raise taxes on a bunch of other stuff, close a couple of loopholes, so create more revenue. And that revenue, half of that revenue is going to go in uh, climate policy. So I think $300 billion, if I'm not mistaken, is going to go in uh, uh, investing in green energy and stuff. And then half of the other of the revenue is going to go in reducing the deficit, so basically making the government spend less. And that is supposed to bring make inflation go down, but it's supposed to make inflation go down, but down, uh, you know, down the years, like 10 years from now, yeah. not now, yeah, yeah. you know? So, they, <laughs> so basically it's a trick, you know? <laughs> Technically, it's going to make inflation go down, but not today, maybe like five, 10 years. But inflation is going to start going down at the end of the year for other reasons. Yeah. So because midterm elections are coming up, yeah. you will see these politicians, namely Joe Biden, Joe Manchin, you know, these Democratic Repo uh, politicians be like, inflation is coming down. We had this law and that is reducing inflation. You know, it's like, it's all, it's tricks, you know, and it's, it's, I feel like, you know, to some extent, if people, you know, people don't uh, don't spend much time reading and learning about what's happening in the country, you can kind of lie to them like that. But I feel like it's terrible. You know, it's just you should be straightforward people. You know, so um, you know, I, the first time I heard about this when before we were getting ready, absolutely kind of talked to me about it, and <laughs> the first time I'm hearing like the the, the whole scope of that act is right now as you're talking mm -hmm. to me and I, as I said in business I was wondering I'm like how is this supposed to help Americans like right now like how is this supposed it's not. to reduce you know prices at the gas pumps mm -hmm. right now you know you know grocery store prices and I was saying I'm like that's not going to do that right now you know mm -hmm. and you put it brilliantly man that's something that happens down 
and down down the road, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, again, you know, we have midterms are you know are coming up very quickly. Democrats are not in a good position mm-hmm. whatsoever. You know, they're, it's expected that Republicans, you know, are gonna are gonna come in and have a really a really great midterm. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for you know? competing investigations and all these things that's also something else uh that we that we're gonna have we're gonna have to see and obviously democrats are right now they're recently uh they found the democrats but the fbi raided donald trump's home mm-hmm. in mar-a-lago due to they're looking at, i believe for classified information that was transmitted from the white house to, to mm-hmm. the mar-a-lago residents and that is also one extra thing that is seems to be helping a bit the Republicans, at least for now, until mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to release the full, uh, af- is it, what is it called? Affidavit. The, yeah, the full affidavit of why the judge allowed the FBI to raid, uh, uh, the shirt warrant. Like, well, why was it given? Because mm-hmm. for to, to be able to get that, that means the judge reasonably believed that mm-hmm. a law is being broken and you will probably find evidence that that law is being broken. So unless that is released in like in full, like it, it's it's been really helping Republicans with the main message that you see. You see what these Democrats are doing; they're continuing. <laughs> when the midterm comes, well, we need to end this right now. And they already, you know, you see some Republicans already uh, campaigning, saying once we once we after the midterms, we're doing investigations on how could <laughs> his home possibly be raided how can you do this to an ex-president it's already starting so the mid- do this to our favorite president <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it is so funny for a brief moment for a brief moment i thought it was possible for the republican party to even get out of the trump shadow but mm-hmm. we're clearly seeing that it's not mm-hmm. it really not and we'll get more into that it. Yeah. we'll do a u.s politics episode but it's over this summer break you know i've been thinking about that yeah, and you know, with uh, midterms coming up, what's been interesting is that uh, Republicans were favored to win back the House and the Senate because right now the Senate is fifty-fifty with Kamala Harris as the vice president, uh, splitting the votes for the in favor of the Democrats, so it's like fifty-one fifty. Uh, but the Dem- uh, Republicans were favored to win back the Senate, but now. Uh, some Republicans are kind of, you know, coming. Mitch McConnell it, last week came out and said, you know, don't expect that we're going to bring back the Senate. Mm-hmm. It's like this. It's a 50-50 situation yeah. because of the quality of the candidates. Mm-hmm. Namely, all these Trumpist candidates are okay. kind of <laughs> bringing us down. Uh, so they're... I think the Republicans are, we'll talk about this more once we approach the midterms, but I think they're expected to win back the House and, uh, but the Senate is kind of 50-50 and the, the, this recent law that, uh, the Democrats passed, uh, it, people are forecasting that it might increase their, uh, they might have a more, uh, the more, they might win back this, keep the Senate in, mm-hmm. uh, November because of these laws that they've been passing. Um, and how, depending on how they, uh, brand them and, uh, communicate about them. And if, especially if, uh, um, the cost of living is decreasing, you know, um, if inflation is going down 
and people who are starting to feel it a little bit relaxed, you know, and feeling in their pockets that they have more purchasing power, mm-hmm. uh, that might help Democrats. But, you know, you never know with these things, you know, it, it changes every... Because no, it's going to be very, it's going to be very entertaining. Like yeah. it's, it's, I shouldn't say entertaining because these, these are important matters, but I'm saying, well, I, I think it's going to be a circus in yeah. terms of the campaigning side of it. It's going to yeah. be a bit, it's going to be a bit wild. But uh, whatever happens in that midterm is going to be very crucial for then what's going to happen in the in, election and in the general 2024. Election. Yeah, 2024 around the corner as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think people are going to look a lot at this midterm and start seeing where that, you know, that, where that election might go. But, and one big conversation that's going to come up in both parties actually is who should run for president mm-hmm. in 2024. Yeah. Republicans will ask themselves, should Trump run for president? And this depends on how his candidates do in these elections. You know, if his candidates do really well, because there are these like mainstream Republican candidates and there are these Trumpist candidates, you know, and if Trumpist candidates actually do well, Republicans will be like, he's our sure way back to power. Mm -hmm. And on the Democratic side is, People are going to look at how they perform and they're going to look at Biden. They'll be like, because there has been a lot of chatter about, uh, chatter about whether Biden will be fit, you know, enough, uh, or, you know, to, to run for president again uh, in 2024, given that he's, you know, he's aging. And yeah, so that's going to be, uh, that's going to be a conversation to look out for. And uh, before closing, I wanted to touch on uh, just uh, what has been happening happening uh, globally. Uh, so we've had um, this summer, in terms of climate change, this summer has been like one of the most, like the worst summers in terms of extreme events, you know, like uh, heat waves almost everywhere. We had heat waves here in Toronto like so many times. I think we had two days two or three days where it reached 40 degrees. Yeah, I opened my car window. It had no impact. It was it was really bad. So we had, uh, like, in, in Europe, you, like, they were really hit by the summer. You had those ex- extreme heat waves in uh, the UK, in France, uh, droughts happening in uh, Europe, uh, not to mention in, in Africa, I think, uh, so Somalia is going through the one of its worst droughts in history, and uh, I think more than a million people are in danger of starving after this summer. So uh, climate change, you know, is should be uh, talked about more, and I think we'll have more episodes on on that topic uh, as we we coming back. We're coming back in season, uh, and. Yeah, and lastly, the uh, Russia-Ukraine war and how, first of all, how that has impacted the populations, you know, experiencing war and also how it has had this ripple effect on other populations, especially uh, African populations who are really left vulnerable due to uh, uh, to these uh shocks to their 
means of getting food, you know, like a lot of grain would come from uh, Ukraine and Russia. So once the war started, uh, there was a lot of uh, food insecurity and uh, just the war has had, you know, a lot of effects even on the on the price of, of gas and oil. So we we will talk a little bit more about uh, those topics. So um, look out for that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We have a lot more coming. And on that note, thank you everybody for listening. This was Beyond Culture. Goodbye and good night. Good night. Thank you.